0: I love that song, based on Psalm 62. Wow. All right, well today we are in Matthew chapter 26. We are back in Matthew, and we're going to see some things. We are going to see Jesus predicting his death. We are going to see evil men plotting his death. And we are going to see one woman who purposefully planned to honor him. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 26. We're looking today at the scandal of extravagant waste. Where some people see a total waste, God sees beauty. It really is like what we just sang from Psalm 62. Psalm 62, 8 says, Pour out your heart before him. Trust in him at all times. And sometimes you're trusting in God, you're pouring out your heart to him, and people will call it a waste. Stand with me if you will. Matthew 26, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar amongst the people. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. She poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. for You always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word, which is perfect. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would use your word in our hearts, in our lives, that you would change us, Lord, that you would make us the people you want us to be. Lord, that all the things that we have come in here with today, burdens and thoughts and fears and and worries, we pray, Lord, that those things would not get in the way of of you speaking to us by your word. Lord, we pray that you would have your way with us, and that you would be glorified. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So we are back in Matthew. It's been quite a while. I know that um, some of you are thinking, when is this going to be over? And all I could say is, please don't think that way. I've said it often that the Bible reading is the only perfect part of the worship service. That's if we don't use wrong words as we are reading it. But God's word is perfect, and you know that even if I stood up here for ten years in a row and preached the same passage every week, we would not we would not exhaust the depths of God's gospel glory. We would learn something new every single day. So I know it's been four years that we've been in Matthew, but what's four years? Now, we began, I, I think, I don't even remember what year we started. I think it was '09. That's what I told first hour, at least. Um, and breaks along the way, but we've gone through every verse in Matthew so far. We have not skipped a verse. That's been my goal, to go verse by verse through this book. The, the theme is, of the whole series is, is Matthew following the king and we have followed the king from his humble birth through his sinless life and ministry and now we come to our latest what i call series within a series and i'm calling the undiluted gospel matthew chapters 26 through 28 the last three chapters of the book undiluted means pure unfiltered uh, nothing's added it's uncut it's raw it's real and I really believe Matthew and really all the gospel writers, really, that's, they, they hit where the intersection of, of life and truth meet. They, they, we don't gloss these over. We don't make them look better. This is the way it happened. This is the way it was. And all of Matthew has been this way. All of Matthew in a nutshell, I would say, I would say it, it's this. Jesus is the sovereign king. He deserves all worship and honor and glory and praise, period. Now, the events leading up to the cross are huge. They're big. Uh, They're central to Matthew's writing. In Christ dying, we see the greatness of the king. We see how he destroys death itself and saves people from their sins. So you've got three chapters here for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The next two chapters, 26 and 27, all about the death of Christ. It's that important the last hours of his life being emphasized more than any other period of his ministry because the cross is dominant. And well, it should be. Now most recently in Matthew, what we've looked at is the end times. That little series within a series was called Living in the Last Days. Matthew chapters 24 and 25. And what we saw in in that series, in those two chapters, was that the best end times view for you and I to hold is the most biblically based one That leads us to love Jesus the most and to long for his return and to live for his glory. We even had an evening Grace Bible Institute session where we looked at the four major views. I'll tell you what a really good, balanced end times view is it's this we believe in the sudden, personal, visible, bodily, promised return of Jesus Christ. And his return will result in the judgment and eternal condemnation of unbelievers as well as the judgment and final reward of believers. We also believe that believers will live with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth for all eternity. That God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will reign and be worshipped in a never-ending kingdom with no more sin, sorrow, or suffering. Doesn't that sound good? That is our hope as believers. So now we come to Matthew 26 and we're looking at the first 13 verses and in these verses we see once again Jesus predicting his death. And then we see evil men plotting his death. And then we see this one beautiful woman purposefully serving him before his death. I'm calling it the scandal of extravagant waste where some people see waste God sees beauty. What I want us to see is what this, these verses, really it's a narrative now. We have just shifted from Jesus' teaching in the last two chapters to a narrative of what happened. What do we see in this narrative of God's character? What do we see of His gospel glory? What do we see of His mercy and His grace? What do we see of the doctrines of grace? How do we encounter God in all His glory? Goodness and greatness. What I believe that God is going to reveal to us in these verses is really what I I see as the main idea of these 13 verses. First of all, it's all about the death of Christ. Verse 2, Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified. Verse 4, they say, let's kill him. Verse 12, he says, she anointed me for burial. That's what you do with dead people. You bury them. So you've got crucifixion, killing... Burial. It's all about the death of Christ. And here's the main idea Christ's death inspires God pleasing acts of loving devotion in his followers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God wants you to pour out your life, pour out your love for him in acts of loving service to him for the sake of others so that he receives the glory. Let's go right to verse 1. Verse 1 begins when Jesus had finished all these sayings. Jesus has been talking about his future glory. He's been talking about what will happen when he returns. But then he says in verse 2 you know, because they all knew, he says, you know that in two days the Passover is coming. They were going to uh, commemorate God's deliverance of them from Pharaoh and Egypt he said the Passover is coming so they knew that but then he adds and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified now he had said words like this three times before as recorded in Matthew but never had he been disappointed. never had it been this imminent this soon in two days Passover and then we're going to the crucifixion it's looming right there it's happening really soon It's Tuesday of Passion Week. In a couple days, he would die for the sins of the world. So Jesus quite simply just says, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. What we see is that God sovereignly planned the cross. First two verses. God sovereignly planned the cross. The death of Christ for sinners was planned before the foundation of the world. Kind of like God planning a surprise party i've had two surprise parties that i remember in my life i I actually remember the first one it was when i turned 40 angela gave me a surprise party and i think she gave me one when i turned 50 but i can't remember that's what happens to you in a year but god surprised the human race with this plan set in motion before the foundation of the world I love it. Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up boldly, authoritatively, and he preaches the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And here's what he says in verse 23. This Jesus, delivered up by the predetermined plan of God, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, the gospel, the cross, the cross was sovereignly planned by God. Jesus says, I'm going to be delivered up and be crucified. Now what you see in the next two verses though is man hatefully plotting to kill Jesus. So they're going along with God's sovereign plan but I, know, I need you to notice something about what they're saying and how these plans weren't going to converge. Verses 3-5. through five. So they, they, the chief priests and the elders of the people gather at, at Caiaphas' house actually. It says palace in the ESV but that could mean farm, that could mean house. And they come over to the high priest's house and they're having a, a plot To arrest Jesus and kill him. They want to do it secretly. Because verse 5, they say, not during the feast. So they're not going to do it during Passover. It's not going to happen in their minds when Jesus says it's going to happen. Not during the Passover, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Literally, lest there be a riot. You know, Jesus' words from the cross... Luke chapter 23, verse 46. I hear the whispering of many. By the way, this is a quote from Psalm thirty one thirteen. It's the lament of a righteous sufferer. This is where Jesus got these words from the cross. I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side. As they scheme together against me, they plot to take my life. Here's evil man plotting to take Jesus' life. But they say, ooh, not during the feast. Because, you know, in those days, the, the population of Jerusalem would swell five times its size. And there was a lot of fervor, a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm for, for the national Messiah to show up. They were thinking a lot in p- political terms, but they didn't want to riot. Plenty of times they'd wanted to do this to Jesus, but now it was getting closer, and they said, soon. Soon going to happen soon. so They decided, though, we're not going to do it now. We're going to wait till after Passover. But if you look at verse 14, it tells us that one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? That was an offer too good to pass up, and so their plan dovetailed with the providential plan of God. And so you have this in god's providence the passover and Jesus' death there's this now that's connection because he is the passover lamb this voluntary passover sacrifice they could plan all they wanted but jesus would be the pro- uh, voluntary passover sacrifice jesus said in matthew 20 they will hand him over to the gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and on the third day he'd be raised to life luke twenty two twenty two, the son of man will go as it has been decreed but woe to the man who betrays him so god sovereignly planned the cross man sinfully plotted it and then you get to verse six a situation you got to remember something about matthew matthew does not write chronologically he doesn't write in a linear fashion in that way now the first five verses that's chronological uh, Jesus had been teaching Matthew 24 and 25 You get to chapter 26 And when he finished this He starts to talk And now they get into a narrative But what, it, what is happening in verse 6 Is he is going to another setting that had happened It's not chronological It's thematic And it's a situation that happened before this very day the day where jesus says i'm going to die and they start plotting to kill him what we see is that they're in bethany at the house of simon the leper more reason for people to kill jesus now presumably this leper had been healed by jesus but verse seven a woman comes up to him and she has very precious ointment very expensive perfume and pours it all over jesus Now I stay away from department stores For lots of reasons But one of them is I don't want to walk through The department where they're spraying perfume on everyone I don't want that all over me You know what it's like When you walk by someone who put too much on right? You're like A little bit lower dose next time Jesus gets the whole bottle of perfume Poured all over her But it's not just that This was not cheap perfume this was not, you know, some $1.95 or whatever perfume. This was really, really expensive perfume. In fact, I don't even know if this kind of perfume even exists today at this kind of cost. It was, it was, three, it was worth 300 denarii. John chapter 12 tells us that. That's approximately a year's salary for a working man. So you take your whole salary and you buy a bottle of perfume with it and you drop it what a waste it's kind of like the situation now some of you are familiar, if you're familiar with the Bible you're saying wait a minute hold on, anointing with perfume I've heard this one before I think that's in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John you're right, the question we need to ask is how many anointings are we talking about here, is there one, is there two is there three separate ones what's going on with this now some ancient commentators origin to be specific said there were three anointings the first happened in luke chapter 7 in galilee the second is recorded in john chapter 12 a few days earlier than the third one which is in mark 14 and matthew 26 now add to that many many modern scholars say there's only one anointing it's all about the same thing i think there's a third view that's preferable Though we don't know for sure, but it's that there were two anointings. That there was the one in Galilee that Luke talks about, and that there was the other in Bethany that Matthew, Mark, and John talk about. Some of you say, I don't really care. Um, Either way, Jesus got anointed, and it's about his burial on this one, okay? So, what is going on? Well, verse 8 the disciples get mad, they get angry, they're indignant. Why were they mad? They were mad because Mary lovingly purposed to honor Jesus. And she wasted all the perfume in the process. Now we find out in John chapter 12 that it was Judas that was speaking for the disciples and he's the one who said, why such a waste? Because he was a thief. And he used to rip off money from the from the common money bag that the disciples had Mary is lovingly purposing to honor Jesus and the disciples get furious and and they weren't worshiping Jesus here they were thinking about themselves and they said why this waste I love the way the King James puts it to what purpose this waste what purpose is there in what she did what a waste Judas was a thief he wanted the money but what you see about the disciples is they were failing to understand what was going on they didn't get the timing of what was going to take place not only in the anointing but the fact that who is Jesus really who is he and there's this flurry of activity that's going to be happening where he's going to be hanging on a cross very shortly and they weren't grasping that so they say you could have sold this and given it to the poor not a bad idea actually within miles there were thousands of people that were really poor so that could have helped a lot of people a year's worth of salary but what Jesus is is uncovering is their distorted values what Jesus is uncovering is the blindness to the unique event that was going to take place you see in God's plan in man's plotting in mary by the way this is mary that was doing this and by the way we know this by john chapter 12 and we'll get to that in a few moments but in mary's purposeful act of devotion you see the scandal of extravagant waste scandalous in the eyes of the world but beautiful in god's sight and how many times do we look at something that someone is doing and going what a waste what a waste of time what a waste of talent what a waste of their treasure i like to hike i like to walk and i also like to ride my mountain bike and i always go to san diego oaks park and i'll tell you what you go uphill and then you get up to a top of a hill and then you go downhill and that's the process and i like to look at it this way when you're going uphill you're counting the cost you're saying do i want to go up this hill do I have enough water? Do I have enough strength? I always know I have enough strength. But I'm like, okay, so I'm going to go up this hill. Do I want to go all the way up? It's going to take me an hour and a half or an hour or whatever. Well, then you get to the mountaintop and you see this beautiful panorama. You get this perspective. That's what Jesus is giving here a perspective on who he is, on, on what we should value, on the fact that, that, that we should pour ourselves out in loving devotion to Jesus in tangible acts. But then you got to go downhill when you go down the hill. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I, saw my, I found myself doing this yesterday. I'm going down these, these hills walking or climbing and thinking, you got to be kidding me because people take their mountain bikes down those same hills and they jump off. I saw a guy do it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to find a crumpled, bloody mess at the bottom of this ravine. And I'm thinking to myself, what a waste. Now, those of you that are mountain bikers are going, you're a wimp, you know. You, you just don't want to go down there on your bike. I'm just telling you, I'm walking down there and I'm like, like sliding, I'm thinking, there's no way in the world I would go down here on a bike. But here's the deal. If you're biking it and you're good at it, you're thinking, this is the most glorious experience. I saw a guy the other day, he had a camera on his helmet. And I say to him as he's going up the hill, are you filming now? And he goes, oh no, only on the descent. Only on the way down. So you, he, they're like, I go up the hill so I can come down. It's glorious. It's beautiful. And I'm thinking, what a waste. I think that's like the disciples going, what a waste. Who'd want to do that? We could have had that money. They wanted it for themselves. We know what that's like, right? We're all wired. We're hardwired to be thinking about ourselves. And what we're going to get... I think Jesus' response would be like, Dudes, why your arrogance? Now what he says is, in the Bible, he goes, Why do you trouble the woman? What I think it is, is dudes, why your arrogance? You know, they're saying, we disagree. And Jesus is saying, whoa, I'm on her side. I- I'm, I'm with her. I mean, Jesus basically intervenes. Think about it. Verse 9 verse 9 ooh this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor Mark 14 5 says they scolded her they told her she was wrong verse 10 you've got Jesus intervening sticking up for her defending her he says why do you trouble her Mark 14 6 he says leave her alone quit quit troubling her quit putting her down quit scolding her and then he says she's done a beautiful thing to me a beautiful thing so what they called a waste God called beautiful he called it a good work he called it a significant wonderful act and then he says in verse 11 you'll have plenty opportunity to help the poor see they're not off the hook they need to take those opportunities he says in Mark 14 7 whenever you want you can help the poor what he's saying though is that I'm the first priority He's God. Deuteronomy fifteen eleven says, "There will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you: you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land." But what Jesus is doing here is making a huge statement about who He is. He who is truly humble and gentle in heart, as He said and uh, recorded in Matthew eleven twenty nine, He is saying. I deserve this lavish outpouring of love and devotion. The reason why is because he is God. He deserves this expense. He merits the outpouring. He says in verse 12, She did it to prepare me for burial. See, he was going to be hung on a cross and and killed as a common criminal. If you're a common criminal, you didn't get anointed after your death he says she was preparing me beforehand for burial so get this while they were plotting to kill him she was plotting to honor him grateful love and then you get to verse 13 and all i can say to this verse is wow the woman and her deed would be remembered whenever the gospel of the kingdom would be preached Let me ask you a question I want to see it by a uh, show of hands How many of you, the last time you shared the gospel with someone Told the story of Mary doing this Just show me your hands You are so disobedient I'm telling you right now You all need to repent of your disobedience You have not told this story Jesus said it would be told Whenever the gospel of the kingdom would be preached Okay I haven't either In fact, this is the first time In my life Today, these three services are the only time I've ever preached the gospel and told about this lady and what she did. So what is Jesus getting at when he says, Whenever, wherever the gospel of the kingdom is preached, what she has been done will be told. Now, Jesus made it really clear the gospel would go to all nations. Jesus made it really clear that the Gentiles would hear the gospel. And by the way, this, this verse, verse 13, foreshadows the Great Commission in matthew 28 18 to 20 what is he saying when the gospel is preached to all nations the idea of loving devotion the idea of extravagant waste for jesus which is the best investment you can ever make will be called for what do you do when you preach the gospel you say lose your life for christ's sake take up your cross and follow him deny yourself that loving devotion that pours out itself all for Jesus. I want you to go to John 11. And it's interesting that in the first century, this happened. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to John 11, and this is the account of of when Lazarus dies and Jesus raises him back to life. Verse verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, her sister. Okay, you're with me, right? Verse 2. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Great. Except John hasn't mentioned this one time in his gospel yet what he is doing here is he is telling he's name checking a situation that he's going to tell about because he's assuming that all christians knew about it now you go to john 12 verse 1 six days before the passover jesus therefore came to bethany where lazarus was whom jesus had raised from the dead so they gave a dinner for him there Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas said, why was this not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said that because he was not concerned for the poor, but he was thief. But it's interesting that this was already being told, it was, it was common knowledge, and people were being called to, to respond to Christ's death in loving devotion to him. But it's all about Christ's glory. Verse 13, "The gospel will be proclaimed in the whole world." You go back to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Jesus says, "When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he'd already said it was going to happen. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise from the dead, and he is coming back. So chapters 24 and 25 was all about him coming back. It's all about his glory. You rewind to Matthew 26, verses 1 through 5, and Jesus says, I'm going to die. His enemies agreed with him. Yes, you're going to die. We're going to kill you. And it was messy. It was raw. It was uncut. It was undiluted. And at the cross nothing was withheld the cross was blunt force trauma it was death by lethal injection the worst was thrown at Jesus and there was not a murmur of doubt because this plan this death was settled before the world began death could not hold him God would even make the wrath of man to praise him as Psalm seventy-six ten says evil would not have the final word God made evil boomerang on itself at the cross So let me ask you a question Let me talk about you for a moment Because us western Christians uh, We Americans Are very wired To think about ourselves And I know if you're anything like me in this, Even during this sermon you've thought Several times about yourself And about your situations and how they're going to work out We are so hardwired To think about ourselves And not to think of others well, let me ask you about your situation in life. Do you think your life situation is humanly unbearable? I know a lot of people who do, and you look at it and go, "Wow, that's a humanly unbearable situation." And do you think that your situation in life is humanly impossible to get out of? Well, you know what? In the eyes of the world, that was the cross. It was a huge fail. It was a disastrous defeat. It was a flop. It was extravagant waste with no upside. There was a botched operation. It was the water world of biblical stories. It was a first round knockout. Nothing thwarted God's plan. The Bible tells us Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so it is for his praise and his glory and our eternal good that he accomplished redemption. That he saved to people for himself It all happened at the cross This is all about the cross But let's think about our lives for a moment You think about your life How messy How How, how out there it, it is Nothing is lost in God's economy Every scrap Every tidbit Is utilized I've got an uncle in Tennessee Who owns a meat company elm hill meats one of the things that is made is what is called wampler's whole hog sausage now i know what you're thinking they use the whole hog and they push it through the machine and it out comes sausage in a in a tube ow that's gross now they make everything from country hams all the way down to hot dogs and yeah they use the worst parts for the hot dogs i don't think any of us uh, didn't know that but what they mean by Wampler's whole hog sausage is they use all the good parts, not just the bad parts. They use all the loins and all the, all the good choice cuts they use to make that sausage. That's why it's a regional favorite all through the South. God makes beautiful things out of all the bad parts. He makes beautiful things out of dust. And we cannot fathom the depths of God's heart. Pretenders will complain, oh, what a waste. Why this waste? For what purpose this waste? Just like Judas, grumbling over perfume spent on Jesus. When was the last time you grumbled as you saw someone pour their life out in love for Christ? Oh, that's a dumb thing to do. I can't believe they're doing that. That's just ridiculous. That's unwise. You know, God wasn't working with a blown budget. (laughs) He didn't have to go, oh, oh no. Oh, I can't believe this was gonna, oh no, this happened plan B. Let's go with plan B. See, victory was assured at the cross. Eternal life for all who believe was assured at the cross. So there is, as the song goes, there is victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. So let's just talk about your greatest pain, your greatest disappointment, the greatest fear God has a purpose beyond what you can see God works in measurable glory out of seeming defeat I had to look down right there because I know what too many of you are going through Come back to Mary What did Mary do? What was she doing with this perfume thing? She did what she could do with what she had, and she gave it all. She didn't go, I'm going to give Jesus a couple drops. It's real good stuff. Everything poured out for him. But interestingly, when she did it, she did it at a time where he was going to leave soon. So, if you think about it, what what Mary did was Mary did what she could do only while Jesus was on Earth. She anointed his body for burial. You fast forward to, let's say, someone like the Apostle Paul. He was doing, as he said, "I am most gladly will spend and be spent for your souls." So, for Christ's sake, he was willing to spend and be spent for the souls of others. He was doing what he could only do until Christ returns. That's our arena. Mary was doing what she could only do before he left. We do what we can only do until he returns. That is, preach the gospel of the grace of God in Christ to everyone in as many ways as possible. But let's just say this. We all know the high value we put on our own lives. We all know how important me is to me I think we need to decide what we can do until Christ returns to glorify God. I think we could resolve to be serving Jesus purposefully in beautiful devotion so that God is glorified. But you think about Mary. She was focused on Jesus, but everyone else was focused on themselves. That's how it is often in the church of Jesus Christ. I don't mean the gathered church. I just mean everyone who says they're a believer in Christ. I think there's a fine line and really a tough call between gospel-driven living and what passes for Christianity in America. We are very self-absorbed people. And there's no generation that is exempt. Every generation is self-absorbed. We read in the Bible, do not love the world. I love the world too much. We we are self-absorbed. We love ourselves too much. The way out of me-centeredness is to get Christ-centered. And how do you get Christ-centered? You give up your life. You lose your life. You deny yourself. You take up your cross. You don't fight against Jesus. You love Jesus. I think a lot of people will say, "Oh, I love Jesus," but they're fighting against Him. And I've said it before, but we're we're so wired to look out for ourselves. There's a movie I really like. It's called um, "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou." And it's a modern-day retelling of Homer's Odyssey, but it's, it's set actually in like the, I don't know, the 20s and 30s uh, uh, era. And, and George Clooney is in it, and his, his, his character is so self-centered. And he dupes his two sidekicks. They're all these guys that were in jail and break out of jail and stuff, and they're looking for the treasure. And his whole deal, he's always saying, I'm just looking for answers, just looking for answers. And these other two guys Uh, one guy gets saved he becomes a a christian the other guy is like sort of kinda and Clooney is just always making fun of him for being so foolish thinking that that stuff is true that the bible is true but he's like oh i'm just looking for answers what he wants is what he wants and he gets these guys to serve his purposes but he didn't help anybody in the whole movie that's like a lot of us the whole the whole movies running and my life's going and I'm thinking about myself all the time and how I can get my needs met and how I can have what I want and how I can get what I want. The cross is the cure. This is all about the cross, Christ's death at the cross. The cross is the cure for burnout. A lot of people say, "Oh, I'm burned out. I've been serving so much, I'm burned out." Well, you're burned out because you have the wrong focus in serving. It's ego-centered. Oh, no one said thank you. You've got to have a loftier view of Jesus than you do yourself. You won't get burned out. The cross is the cure for idolatry, wrong object of our worship. What happens when we're focused on ourselves and not Jesus? Well, we come to church and say, it better make me feel good. It better sound the way I want it to sound, and, and it, better, it, better, it better be what I'm thinking it should be. And then we run our whole life that way the cross is the cure for idolatry the cross is the cure for selfishness we always say mine, 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 mine how often do we say his? his? we got a wrong motive in living here's what happens though gospel truth nourishes your soul in such a way where principles leave you cold here's five better ways to serve better The gospel will nourish your soul. You focus on the cross. You meditate on the cross and it's going to lead to Christ honoring worship in your life. You preach me a Bible passage and don't point me to Jesus. You will leave me cold and I will walk out the door and try to do it on my own strength. The gospel kills self-effort. It inspires gospel-driven living. This passage demonstrates that Christ's death inspires God-pleasing acts of loving devotion in his followers. Mary did what she could do. You know, we're always quoting famous authors and famous pastors because we want people to listen to what we're saying and we think it gives credence to it, gives extra weight to what we're saying. I think Christians in local assemblies should be quoting each other and how God is transforming their life by the gospel. I want you to watch a little video right now. It's a short little video and it's from someone you probably know. He's a friend of mine. He may be a friend of yours but it's just not someone perfect just someone devoted to Christ in the place that God sent them. I want you to watch this and I want you to ask yourself this question. What can I do to honor Jesus?
1: A missionary is a person who understands their service to the Lord, sharing the gospel to all nations, that's willing to go wherever God leads them to go. I became a missionary in Pretoria, South Africa through um, having the Lord just guide and direct my life. I went on a short-term mission team with my church. Through that team, I felt that my family and I would fit well in ministering with One Hope Ministries International in Pretoria. We decided to go as a family my wife, Susan, and Julia is my oldest daughter, and Marissa and Gabriel and Sophia and Elijah, that we would go and spend at least one year there and see what God did with us there. You go where the, where the Lord leads you, and, and God has a plan for using you in your life, and you make yourself available to Him, and He'll take you, take you wherever He wants you to go. I met Claudius on my first trip to South Africa in 2012. Just met him as one of the guys at church that was showing up. He suffered from polio when he was young and his body is a a bit deformed and and he struggles getting around a little bit. We went to pick him up one time for church and I saw where he lived in a refugee community where people live in, in tin shacks. His plan someday is to return to Zimbabwe uh, raise his family Claudius had a prayer that he could have a shack and that community that had electricity he has a wife and and three kids living with him and he wanted to provide for his family by having electricity to make their life a little bit easier when I returned in that six months later he had an opportunity to rent a little plot in another yard, so he put down his money that he had saved to secure that little lot. It didn't have a house on it yet, but he got the lot, so I began the process of of purchasing materials and taking them to the site and starting to build him a nice, strong structure out of two-by-fours or solid wood frame with a roof and glass window and a nice metal door. Probably two-and-a-half times the size of the one that he was already in and then he also got to plug into electricity and turn on electric lights inside of his shack. I wanted to do that for Claudius because he needed it. I needed a place to be able to share my skills and my desire to to build, to provide for another Christian brother and because he had become my friend and we were working together in his community reaching out to his friends and neighbors with the gospel. Salvacop is a community on the west side of Pretoria. It's a community where refugees typically will reside because of the cheap housing. But so Walking through the community with Claudius and his, his four-year-old son elderly, it can be a little intimidating being uh, the only white guy around, not knowing how people are feeling about a white guy walking around in their community. People are poor, many are desperate, times are hard for them. You just never know what somebody may do walking through their community. There's another community on the outside of Salva that's up on a hill. It's a shanty town that's made of really older tin shacks. Not many people go up there except just those that live there in and it's like people are, are, have just decided just to, that's a place where they can just put up a shack and live there. Walking up there and with Claudius, meeting some of the people that he knows, trying to develop relationships, invite people to come down and join us in Bible study, and just to share our lives and get to know people can, can be difficult there as well. Typically we meet in the school, but the school was closed, being good Friday, and so we just found a place on the side of the street in front of the school, and we just started gathering around and, and singing songs and, and praying and just trusting that God would do what he wanted to do. We want to have each of you, if two or three people go with you, back to your home. So the team split up and walked through the neighborhood. Um, Walked with people from the Bible study to their little neighborhoods and meeting their neighbors and going into their shacks and seeing how they live and and most of the shacks that they went to were just dark because there's no electricity. Because so Christ Jesus, the main word is condemnation. No. Right. You've been able to to the- just pray that you are able to draw him able to open his eyes to see and listen to his, to your word Lord. Yes. Um, oh, that work? Yes. Oh, okay. My wife even said this is one of those moments where she wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world with the experience of having such a mix of cultures. People from Germany singing worship songs, people from Zimbabwe singing their songs, and then the Americans singing songs, and yeah, it was just a a mix of all cultures and races and, and nationalities uh, sharing and praising God together. These people in Africa, as I cross from one country to another, and just see the people live, and it's how different it is from myself. It just causes me to just examine myself and and ask these deep questions about who am I, where am I going, and what am I doing, and what does God have me doing here? Why does He want me here, and what, what do I have to offer? Do I really love these people? Do I really love these people enough to leave my own country to come and serve the Lord? I know in the Bible it says to go and make disciples of all nations, but Do I really need to be the one to do that? Is it me and my family? Do I really love these people? I have to pray constantly that God would give me a heart to love these people enough to want to risk and leave my life in the United States to make the gospel the most important thing in my life and in their life.
0: and hear that because I'm praying that we will make a connection to where we live you say well you know I'm not a missionary well you're using the wrong words Um, so Randy used the word missionary Um, that's wrong thinking for us to say well I'm not over there so I can't do that you could say well you know uh, but I'm not overseas that's again that's wrong thinking uh, we sent the Clarks overseas. They just got there this morning, actually. But we're not sending you there right now. <laughs> okay? We're sending you to Orange and Tustin and your Belinda and Cerritos and Chino and all different places that you live. You should not want to be anywhere on earth than where God has sent you. That's where you should want to be more than anything. You make yourself available to Him and trust Him to do what He wants to do in you and through you. The worship team's gonna come back up. And that question, what can you do out of love for Jesus? Mary did what she could only do while Jesus was on earth. We must do what we can only do until He returns. They're gonna sing a beautiful song that every time I hear it, I think is my my testimony put to words but i want to give you an opportunity to respond we we get these little subcultures built in our churches and we're all afraid to sit in the spit zone up front we're afraid to come up front because someone might think something's going on in our life something better be going on in your life i know stuff's going on in our lives but i want to give you an opportunity to respond to god's word today and what god might be doing in your heart and so there'll be some of our pastors and elders up here to talk with you to pray with you if you're not a christian you need jesus more than you need air and you need to come to know him and believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and is coming back for those who love him if you are a christian you know you might not you might be committed to this church but not be a member well we have a membership we want you to become a member come up here and tell us that you might be a Christian who's not, never been baptized. Well, you need to be a start your obedience to Christ by getting baptized. And we don't have any water in here right now, so I'm not sending you to South Africa uh, today, and we're not, sending, we're not baptizing you right this moment, because it would be dry, okay? Uh, you need water for that. Um, we'll go find water, or we'll fill it up next week. But do that. There might be whatever it is, but you might even need to walk down here and make some kind of stand for whatever it is, because... That might help you be more attuned to making a stand this coming week where you live, and where you work, and where you play, and where you school, and where you, where you shop. Lord, thank you for this time, and thank you for your goodness to us in the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that it is your death that inspires our devotion to you. And Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified. For Christ's sake, amen.